are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. In all three years of the lectionary cycle of readings, this first Sunday in Lent, has us read the story of Jesus' 40-day sojourn in the wilderness. It is much, much briefer in the Gospel according to Mark, just two verses as opposed to the 11 we read from Matthew this evening. And Mark has very, very little detail. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Probably, though, the most notable thing about Mark's brief account is the word drove. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Whereas in both Matthew and Luke, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Both understandings come from the same original story, which all three of the gospel writers would have inherited in an oral tradition going back to Jesus himself. But you have a sense here in Matthew that this is something Jesus knows that he needs to do, rather than something that he's driven to do. Jesus has just undergone the baptism of John in the River Jordan, something that in Matthew's telling, John isn't even sure he should be doing at all. I shouldn't baptize you, Lord. You baptize me. But Jesus insists. And he hears that affirmation that he is the Son, the Beloved, with whom God is well pleased. And now he turns his face toward the wilderness for that period of fasting. Now, 40 days seems an extraordinarily long time to go without food. But medically, it is quite possible to do that if you have plenty of water. More significant, though, is that number 40 which occurs time and again in our scriptures. The rain falls for 40 days in the story of Noah and his ark. Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, waiting for God's message. The Israelites are in the desert for 40 years. Both King David and King Solomon reign over Israel for 40 years each. Jonah the cranky prophet Jonah, proclaimed in the streets of Nineveh that, quote, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what's the meaning of that number? What's its significance? In his book, The Fingerprints of God, Robert Ferrer Capon insists that images don't mean anything. They simply point. Each time that number 40 appears, it is pointing forward toward the next appearance of that image of 40. In the case of this number 40, all those earlier images point finally to this story of Jesus, 
in the wilderness. We are meant to hear in this story the echoes of all of those earlier images. Jesus is not coming out of nowhere, in other words, but is rather a part of a much longer and deeper story. That it is here that the number 40 seems to reach its culmination. It's the last time it really appears as a significant number in the Bible. That's significant. In that all of those earlier appearances of the number now reach the point to which they've been pointing all along. Forty days is a long time to be alone in the wilderness and fasting. I think that the extraordinary 40-panel cartoon series by the English illustrator Cy Smith catches the force of it all in a remarkable way. Now, I have referred to this a number of times over the years. One year, we even showed the cartoon series in the chapel. It is again posted up on the website, very much at the top of the visual section. And you should revisit it. His drawings are not particularly detailed or sophisticated. He is a cartoonist. But they do catch something of how Jesus might have experienced this time alone in the desert. The 40 days begin with a panel that reads, quote, For my 30th birthday, I gave myself some time away from it all. Followed by pictures of a very clear-eyed Jesus packing his carpentry tools into a box and then heading out into the desert. As the 40 days progress, the panels show him going from watching the sunset, noticing the animals and desert flowers, looking altogether engaged in this world, gradually becoming more and more worn and tired and bedraggled. In the 32nd of 40 panels, two angels come and hover over him as he sleeps in the cave, exhausted. The angels have looks of deep concern written in their faces. Then in the 34th panel, a reddish-hued figure appears just on the horizon of that cartoon, a, a series of cartoons that is otherwise entirely in black and white. This reddish-tinged figure is the tempter, but he doesn't look like some demon or spirit. Instead, Smith pictures him looking exactly like Jesus himself, except for with that reddish hue and none of the exhaustion or the dirt from all of those days in the desert. It's one of the illustrator's most poignant images. And as the tempter comes close, the contrast between the two, the very clean, fresh, reddish tempter and the bedraggled, almost broken, exhausted Jesus is striking. Stone is held in the hand of the tempter, signifying, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Next, the two figures are pictured on the roof of the temple, 
with those very worried angels floating just below. Throw yourself down, Jesus. The angels will save you. After that comes a panel with that very exhausted Jesus being shown a vast panorama. Bow down to me, Jesus. This will all be yours. But no, no, no. In the 38th panel, the tempter is finally and fully rebuked. In the 39th, we see him fleeing away, leaving the exhausted Jesus laying on the bare earth with the angels hovering close to care for him. And the 40th panel shows the two angels helping Jesus make his way back to the town, which is then followed by the one last panel that says simply, and now I am back. This series of simple cartoon drawings catches the force of the story in quite a remarkable way, and I encourage you to go home tonight and watch it. The long sojourn, the exhaustion, the lure of the tempter, the defining no, no, no uttered by Jesus. Now, given that it is all done simply in images with words only on the first and the very last panel, it doesn't get at a piece of the story that we can't let slip by. When the tempter comes to the exhausted Jesus, he comes with three temptations, right? Stones to bread, prove that God's angels can save you, will save you, and worship me and have it all. The tempter even cites scripture in the second temptation, saying, saying to Jesus, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jump. Jesus, on the other hand, makes a more fulsome use of the scriptures. He refuses to get into a kind of a back and forth debate with the tempter, instead responding each time by simply citing the Hebrew scriptures. He clearly knows he has a foundation in those texts. And so no matter how tired and worn he is from his long session in the desert, it is this that he will lean upon. It is his best response, his strongest defense, in fact, to not start into debating, but rather just speak aloud the texts that have been shaping and forming him all along. So if Robert Capon was correct in saying that what images do is to point, and I think Capon is fundamentally correct here, then this set of temptations and responses, scriptural responses no less, that come at the end of those 40 days, is meant to point us in a very particular direction. We are meant to see this story set against the backdrop of all of those other stories that cite the number 40, those stories from the Hebrew Scriptures. We are to remember the significance of each one, the flood, the time Moses spends waiting for God on Mount Sinai, the years of wilderness wanderings of the freed Hebrew slaves, the years of David and Solomon, which in many ways were mixed blessings. Both of those characters were fallen and broken. 
and that message the cranky prophet Jonah uttered in the streets of Nineveh. Maybe especially the message of that cranky prophet, because ultimately that story, the story of Jonah told in the book of Jonah, is one of God's profound grace, in which even that corrupt archenemy nation of Nineveh isn't beyond forgiveness and redemption. Shockingly in that book, they actually move to complete repentance, sackcloth and ashes, while Jonah sulks, because he'd just like to see them done in. But that's not the way of God in that book. Ultimately, Jonah and the Ninevites point forward to Jesus in the wilderness, confronting the tempter, and Jesus the healer, restoring people, and Jesus the teacher, bringing new ways of looking at things, and Jesus the storyteller, turning people upside down with his parables, and Jesus the Christ, confronting the very power of death for the sake of us all. And so, into the season of Lent, we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.